0: You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning, guys. Grab a seat. How are you all doing? Fabulous. How was the holidays? Anybody tune in to the uh, video liturgy? You get a chance to watch that. Man, it turned out great. I thought it was fun, um, fantastic. Thanks for everybody involved. I hope it was um, something that you were able to tune into and just be encouraged by and and uh, refreshed by. So we have an awesome community here. Um, unfortunately, we're just not able to put everybody in a video. We're just going to keep so like next year, some of you might be up. We're just going to keep putting you in videos. But um, one thing I got to do real quick. Um, because it's, it's like, it's still good news. Like it was good news on the day and it's even better news. So I'm going to botch the number a little bit. But on December 19th, we all gathered here and we did our annual joy offering. And in one day we brought in like 18,000 like, this small little church is crazy. Like, we've always kind of thrown up these big, huge numbers. If I'm honest, I was like, I don't know about this year. We've got a lot of new people. Do they know ondondo Do they know what we're doing? Do they know every child? But you guys threw down, and it was fantastic. But we did keep it open. And so um, we're actually going to kind of recelebrate today because we had some more money come in. So we went from like 18-1 to today's final as of the 31st. 21,007 yeah so um and again those resources all of that number is all that came in and those resources go directly to so we two-thirds is going to go to on that should put us at the point where we would have the ability to divide out those funds fully fund the every child project and fully fund another health post so what are we at whitney how many health posts are we at at this point like 12 health posts no eight okay so so with nine on the way, hopefully here with this, so this will be, yeah, so um, we have some information about that, but we believe that that is good news to the people of Senegal. It's good news to people that are adding to their family in Senegal. Um, it provides vital health care and resources to those communities, um, and so so thank you guys for jumping in, and that's just something that we wanted to celebrate. Um, as Matt mentioned, so I think it was like over a year ago now, like sometime fall of 2020, Matt and I sat down for like a day. We had a day carved out, which might not seem like a lot, but we're like, hey, let's just read through Exodus. Let's pray through the book of Exodus. Let's also spend some time kind of seeing where God would want us to go with the book of Exodus. And we came up with like a breakdown, like here's how we're going to preach the book of Exodus. And we did get to chapter 20, like Matt kind of mentioned. And I think we kind of like felt the wheels starting to slow down, if not come a little bit off the bus, because we're like, man, what would we do? Like, if we do each of these commandments, that's going to make this series much longer. It doesn't fit. Like, so kind of came up with this idea. Let's just kind of put the Ten Commandments in the series of Exodus, like where it needs to fit, but we're not going to walk through them, right? Um, and I had this idea, or maybe Matt did, I don't know, like, hey, maybe maybe what we could do is sometime in the next year, we could actually just blow that up and expand it um, and and be able to do that. So now that I'm here, I'm going, was that a good idea? <laughs> um, because, like, these are challenging things. So here, here's the whole process. Like, I don't know about you guys. So I haven't preached since, like, the 12th of December. So we got past the 19th, which was the joy offering, our last gathering. I took a hard check out, right? Like, I was just like, I'm not... I don't have to think about putting a sermon together. No, and so it's been a fantastic break. Thank you guys for that space and that break. It was nice to have the 26th off. I hope you enjoyed it as a family. But then I woke up Monday of this week and I went, oh, that's right. I need to preach again. I need to figure out how to do that again. And what I had before me was, oh, we're going to preach the Ten Commandments. And I started wrestling through like all of these things. Like, I don't know about you, but like rules. Like somebody just starts handing rules to me, and I do. Like I, am not the most like rebellious person ever, but I get a little bit like, really, you know. And I'm like, then I gotta stand up here and preach through a list of rules to this community. Like that's not maybe not gonna go over well. So we're still gonna stick with it, though. We're gonna do it. We've got the graphics to prove it, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, right? And so here's what we're gonna do for today. we need to like reestablish a relationship with the story of Exodus because it is a story. It's it's narrative, and so the 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 Ten Commandments, or, or probably more appropriately called the Ten Words, right? So that comes from um, this this uh, phrase, the Decalogue, this Latin phrase, and and that means ten and. Logos means word, so it's really most appropriate. This is actually how the people would have referred to this in Hebrew, was that this is not the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Words from God. So we're going to look at those things, and those are found both in the story of Exodus, and they're also found in Deuteronomy, and they kind of repeat themselves there. But it's first and foremost driven by this amazing story of God interacting with people, and God forming a people for himself, and that story is like an amazing story. We, we spend a bunch of time walking through it, but it's also found in like a, a much bigger story. It's written by just this one person, this guy named Moses. We look at the first five books of the Bible and we, we break them up, right? But, but the reality is the Pentateuch or the Torah, Moses wrote and he wrote as one big narrative. And so The Ten Commandments, Exodus, find themselves in the midst of this big, long story. I'm going to guess that most of us know some of that story. We we, we can make our way through Genesis. We find our our, our way through Exodus pretty easy because it's driven by all these big, exciting pieces. Um, But it does start to slow down when you get to 20, and then you get some chapters in Exodus where there's a lot of law, there's all these, like, instructions to the people. So, so all of that is just one big story. It goes all the way out through, like, numbers, right? Deuteronomy, Leviticus. It's all a part of a story in one unifying book, the law that, that Moses wrote. Um, and these, these 10 words that God gives in this story are the first of many to come. Now, we're only going to de- deal with these, these first 10. The, the bigger part is... It's a part of a a story that is about a people, but it's really the story of a God who is forming a people. And we wanted to get that right. And so for today, we're just going to re-insert kind of ourselves back into the story of Exodus. There's some key events that happen in that story that lead up to the story that we're going to look at for the next 10 weeks that we need to kind of put back in our brain. And then we're going to just have a very baseline conversation right? About what it means for God to establish his 10 words to his people. Because I think it's so easy to get it twisted, right? It's so easy to get the story twisted on its end because we hear rules and most of us have rules for our life or for our families or whatever. And we go like, this is how I achieve what I want to achieve as I follow this list of rules, right? How many of you made new rules for yourself for the new year? right? Some of us do, some of us don't, some of us say we don't, but we do, right? Like I did. I was like, my plan was to have like my last bit of ice cream treat on the 31st. It didn't work out. I had it last night. I already broke a rule, right? So we get that. We get it twisted, but we, but we see rules as a pathway to achieving what we want to achieve, and so we get it twisted really quick with this story and God's words to his people. So, and, and I think one of the first things that that always gets twisted with us is this: is this this assumption, right? And I think it's it's a really a widespread assumption. And it's not just exclusive to like us as Christians. It's found really in like every world religion. Um, it exists even outside of religion, like just with people, right? And this is how we get it twisted. It's this: in order to find acceptance or approval with God, right, for Him to 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 find us acceptable in his sight, somehow we have to then, like, follow a list of rules or behave ourselves into his acceptance, as if our performance is going to usher us into God's good graces. So, So there's a question that, like, I think about with that, and listen, like, you probably don't think about that question because you've got a lot of other things to think about, like getting your kids to school and work and all that. But I get to sit around and think about stuff like this. And it's just this question, like where does that assumption or where does that idea come from? That that by behaving ourselves or by obeying a law or some kind of standard, keeping rules or laws, we gain credibility or acceptance with God. Some of it comes from this idea, that there's a good God and There's bad people, and we have to be like gooder to get him to accept us or to love us, right? And gooder is a word you can just use it from here on out, right? I mean, why is it that you still like I do it too? Like, why do we associate our behavior with our acceptability to God? Like, like where where in the world does this come from? It's in you. It's it's in me. Like, it's just a part of our consciousness. And and here's what also happens, like, when, when, when someone is far away from God, right, but then God gets a hold of their heart, they'll think this, before I can come back to God, before I can, like, really embrace this thing that God's calling me to, I've got to get, like, cleaned up first, right, I've got to get some stuff straight in my personal life, I have to, like, eradicate some bad habits first, um, so, so that when I finally come back to church and come back to the community of God and come back to God, like God will find me more acceptable. And, and here's the point of the next few weeks. God's rules and laws, and this is the baseline that I wanted us to have for this conversation. We're not going to get technical today. We're going to have to get technical with some of this. That's not for today. We're going we're gonna to look at how these stories sit or how these commandments sit in the story, but then we're also going to trace how they inform the rest of the story. Where do they find themselves in the origin of the story? We've got a lot of work to do over the next 10 weeks, but today we just want to settle this very like baseline conversation in our hearts so that we don't get it twisted as we start talking about this. And it's this, that God's rules and laws are not a condition for relationship. They are a confirmation of relationship we're going to see how that plays out here right but his rules and his laws that come from God they're not a condition of his love they're a confirmation of his love. Not it's challenging, right? I'm telling you that the rules and the laws that God gives to his people are, are, are loving. They actually communicate to us that He loves us and, and all of that stems from this incredible event in history when God, broke in and and broke the silence and said listen i'm going to give you some rules and some laws to live by so so buried in the story of the 10 commandments or the the 10 words that god gives is this secret right it's the secret between the relationship of god's love and god's law and it's not even buried that deep i mean you just have to like scratch the surface a little bit and there it is and it, it's just right out there almost on full display for all of us to discover and it's this simple yet profound truth is that god Wanted to make it absolutely clear to his people as he's forming a people that you don't, in fact, you cannot perform or behave your way into God's good graces. And you have to get that right before we can understand what God's doing with these commandments. He's saying to his people, My, my laws and my rules, again, they're not a condition for relationship, they are a confirmation of a relationship that already exists. Now, if you have a bible you have got it on your phone whatever flip to exodus chapter 20 that's what we're going to be looking at today so as you're turning there i want to make a, a, just a couple of quick observations that's going to kind of set the course for our time through this series the first one is this i think that you can tell a lot about a person by the laws that they give right you can tell a lot about a culture by the laws that they have you can break that down to just like family structures or people or whatever like like all of us have probably like some personal commandments that we kind of put in our life, right? And they help us navigate life. And so, so we, we understand like we're going to make those things. We're going to make rules and laws for ourselves, right? But what's important to what God is doing here is he's informing us, right? He's giving us people these laws and he's saying, you can actually find out a lot about who I am, through the laws. You can tell a lot about my character, who I am and how I love my people by, by the, the by the laws that I give. And then second to that is you can tell a lot about a person by to to whom they give these rules to, who they impose these rules on. So so here's what's incredible. For the next 10 weeks, we're gonna take a look at God's rules. And, And buried in those rules is really like a profound secret about his character and his truth. We discover what's important to God through these. Your rules tell you what's important to you. My rules will tell you what's important to me. Rules are values, and we're about to discover through this What's valuable to God? So here's the context, Exodus chapter 20. Here's what's happening. Moses, he's up on this mountain, Sinai, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, like Israel is there, they're down below. He left the people down below because God said, like, leave them there. I, I just want you, Moses. But, but Moses like g- comes up, right? And, and he's there with God and he's like, God's like, I'm going to give you this, this law Now. Some more context, right? Because this is important. This is where we need to, to trust the story. We need to know the story. We need to we need to not remove um, the commandments from the bigger story. Moses is up on the top of the mountain, right? And we're about to discover what's important to God through this. He's going to give him his law. Now, what we need to understand about the people of Israel. They had been in chains. Like if you don't know the story of Exodus, they'd been in bondage. They'd been in chains. They had been enslaved in a foreign nation, Egypt, for 400 years, right? And they've only most recently been set free. Now you've got to kind of start to use your imagination with me because it's hard for us to get our brains around that reality. The entire history of this people so far, their whole story, right? Because when they went to Egypt, they weren't a people, right? It was a family. That was it. And now they're this huge family, this huge group of people, and their entire history that we know was slavery, and that's it. They they had no history before slavery. There was none. They they were just this, now this like big, supersized family living as slaves, That's it. That's all they know for for centuries, for generations. That's all they've known. So, So as you can imagine, like everything about them, their culture, their customs, their morals, their behavior, everything about them was defined by their reality, by this context that they were enslaved in Egypt. They were living as slaves. They had no law. They didn't have a government. They didn't have a king or rulers for themselves. And as far as they were concerned, as they were experiencing this slavery and oppression for centuries, God had been quiet. God had been silent. God had been seemingly absent, right? But then God frees them in this miraculous way, and he he brings them to the foot of this mountain, the same mountain where Moses, their great rescuer, first met this God in the form of a burning bush. And, And he's about now that the second time at this mountain, to give them their rules. And, And Moses makes the long trek up the mountain, and here's what God says, and this is amazing. Like, you ready for this? He says, and God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Now, if you go back to the account of the burning bush, you have God just saying, I'm Yahweh, giving Moses his name, which is foundational to the whole story but he says this he says I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob so the people that you can trace your line to like I was their God but now in this he's telling Moses right like I'm the Lord your God to which if if I was Moses I would say wait 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 <laughs> like hold up did, did you say the the Lord your God like as in my God like I, I, I think you mean I am the Lord like a God, or the God, or some God, and God's like, no, Moses, like, I am the Lord, your God, but, but then Moses is probably like, but that, that would imply, like, we've had some, like, we have a relationship going, like, some, and God's like, exactly, right, but Moses is like, we haven't really done anything yet, right, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but we were like slaves, we, we don't even know what we're supposed to do, that's, that's, that's like why we're here, right? Like you're supposed to tell us what we're supposed to do so we can be good people. But you're saying like, like we're already your people. And God's like, yeah, yeah. Like you're in, like you're mine. You belong to me. I am your personal God. And like, just like that. And God's like, well, not exactly kind of cut me off and interrupted me there. Right. So then go back to verse one, because God finishes the sentence there. And he says, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why would God do that? Because it's not that far removed from what's happening here, right? So he takes them down this little like stroll down memory lane, and all of a sudden Moses is starting to have these like flashbacks of this event that he's talking about, like drawing you out, bringing you out of the land of Egypt, bringing you out of slavery, right? Because for 400 years, at least for Moses and for the people, they're kind of going like, it feels like you've kind of done nothing for us lately, God. And suddenly, when they had probably been as close as they could to giving up all hope, it was almost all lost, succumbing to despair, God sends a rescuer, right? They weren't even sure at this point in their history that there was such a thing as an Abraham or an Isaac or the God of Jacob, I mean, they're thinking, like, we haven't heard anything for, like, years, right, so is this God even exist? Maybe it was just a myth, maybe it was, like, a fairy tale, like, our God has done nothing, but suddenly God shows up, and he sends this rescuer, Moses, and Moses comes into the midst of the people, and he begins to speak on behalf of this, like, distant, and, like, in their opinion, like, absent God, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, uh, God sent me, right? So he's standing before the person that the Egyptians believe is the highest form of deity, And he shows up and he's like, "Well, actually God sent me. Like I know that you think that you're God Pharaoh, but but God sent me, and he says, "I want you to let my people go." And Pharaoh's like, "No, I don't think so. And so God kept hardening pharaoh's heart right if you know this story and he just keeps on saying no like i'm not going to let the people go and the god took each one of the egyptians gods right and he begins to make a mockery of them he confronts their worship of these false gods he's like you think the nile is a god you worship the nile river i'll turn it into blood you like flies you worship flies here's some flies you you worship frogs you got frogs right you worship the sun i'll blot out the sun. And he took every aspect of their worship and their religion one by one, and he makes a mockery of it. And the Israelites are standing on the sidelines just watching like, what is going on here, right? They're like, somebody's speaking now on our behalf, like as slaves of voiceless people, a powerless people, a people that had no rights, they had no authority, and somebody is now showing up speaking for them. Somebody's come to our rescue. We didn't even know this person's name, we don't even know this God's name, this is unbelievable, we have somebody that's coming alongside us, someone who's fighting for us, finally, and then the country, like after years of this, right, and after all of these plagues that is visited upon, the, the, the country of Egypt is in shambles, right, um, God then, for the first time, and this is what's so amazing, he, he begins to speak actually for the first time, to his people here, right? In fact, this is in all the way back in, in chapter 12 of, of Exodus, right? And it, it, this is absolutely amazing, and I don't, like we can't miss this. I think it's easy to pass this when we read this story, because God in this moment, right, he actually issues his first command to the nation of Israel back in chapter 12, right? They, they've, they've never heard from this God, it's such a distant thing in their past that they probably even have forgotten who this God was. And this guy Moses shows up and is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reintroduce you to the God of your forefathers, right? They're not even a nation yet, but God is issuing his first command to these people, right? And it wasn't on Mount Sinai, it's in Egypt. And listen to what he says. This is in chapter 12, verses one through four. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you, the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb of a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons according to each kin, or to, to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. So, you just imagine this, like you're a people, all you know is slavery, no rights, no voice, nothing, nothing to celebrate ever, right? You're, you're basically working for the ability to be able to like put food on the table, and that's it, and eat and survive, and that's it. And they're like, hold on, this God that we don't know anything about, it's such a, a distant memory for us, like 400 years of us going like, where is this God? Like is showing up now and is speaking to us. And the first thing that this God says is like, hey, kill a lamb or a goat and have a meal, right? Like what? Like that's what you want us to do? You want us to get a lamb and you want us to make a meal out of it? Like that's all you're gonna say to us. That's the most important thing that you could say to us as a people. But then look at verse five. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall, shall kill their lambs at twilight, right? So the scene is this, you get your family together, you throw this party, you get out the barbecues, twilight comes, you slaughter the lamb, you throw it on the grill and the people are going like, like, this, like, is this the same God who, like, blotted out the sun? Is this the same God that we just see do all of these crazy, like, turning rivers into blood and, like, boils on people? And, and now what you want us to do is, like, just, like, have a meal? Like, our great rescue is coming through this meal, right? I mean, he finally decides to talk to us. He finally decides to save us. And the most important thing that he wants us to remember and do and participate in is this meal, right? So then check out verse 7. This is when it gets even weirder, right? Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. Do what now? Like if, as if it wasn't weird enough that your great rescue plan is for us to just simply have a meal, now you want us to take some of that extra blood and put, like they're just confused, right? Like why would that have anything to do with us getting out of here? Slaughter a lamb, take its blood, put it on the doorpost. That's odd. God has just issued his first thou shalt, right? It's important to pay attention. When God says thou shalt, we should listen. So then, skip down to verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will, this is where the plan starts to kind of come together, right? I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. You guys remember this from last year when we walked through this? Okay, so here's what God's saying to the nation, right? And, and it, this is this is so important for you and me. He's saying... Let me tell you what I want to be for you as my people. Not simply your lawgiver. Like, I will give laws. I want to be your savior. I want to be your redeemer. I want to be your rescuer. I want to come right down in the middle of your point of greatest despair and need where you are inescapably just trapped in this situation that you cannot get yourself out of, and I want to deliver you. All I need you to do, it's just simply this, like I'm going to take care of everything, you just got to trust in this plan. So like God's first kind of like do this to these people is just trust in this thing. It sounds super weird. I understand that you're like, what is happening? But just trust in this because I know it doesn't make sense, right? Slaughtering sheeps and goats and eating them and taking blood and putting it on your door. Like it's going to be weird, right? It's not going to make any sense, but all you have to do just this one time is just like, just trust me, right? And you only have to do it this one time. I'm never going to ask you to do this again. You don't, you don't have to do this for the rest of your life. I just don't want you to forget about it once you've done it, right? So I just want this really unusual thing that I'm about to ask you to do. It's going to be evidence of your confidence and your trust in me. Like, I want to be your God, and I want you to trust in me and my plan here, and my plan of redemption. So then standing there, right? So then fast forward to the story that we're actually looking at. Standing there at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? With that etched into their memory, because that's not hundreds of years ago for them. That's not 10 years ago for them. That's not even a year ago for them. That's like three months. That story that we just walked through is just three months ago for them, right? And they're about to receive God's word, right? As they stand there thinking about that, like that great rescue that they just saw some of them probably still had like they've had no time they probably still have like blood underneath their fingernails they just picked up everything they left egypt right they might still have the blood of those goats underneath their fingernails like that that's how fresh that story is for them and here's what the nation of israel knew and here's what moses knew that we're not here they're not there to get in with god Like they're here because they're already in with God. They're already in an established relationship with God. They're in it. We're not here. They're not there to find like, hey, is this God going to be our God? Like, can we do something? Can we negotiate terms? Can we act in a certain way? They're saying he clearly already is our God. He's delivered us from our captors. We didn't do anything. We, we didn't know what we were supposed to do. We didn't know the rules. We didn't even know his name. We, we knew nothing. We had done nothing. And he just decided for some reason that we don't completely understand it all to reach down and to deliver us from our captors and to bring us to the foot of this mountain and having clearly established the fact that we are now his and that he is ours, now, now he's gonna give us the law that we are to live by. So you see that like right there, like right there in the story, in the midst of the giving and the receiving of the 10 commandments or these 10 words is the greatest message that you will ever hear as a human being, that a relationship with God is not predicated on keeping the rules. He established a relationship with his people before they even knew what the rules were. And that's so clear in our minds. We have to get that straight because we wrestle with that question. Right? We all do the same thing. Like, we get trapped in it, and we're like, oh, I got to clean up. I got to find some forgiveness first. I got to sort out all of this before God will accept me. You start putting your own list of commandments in how you will make yourself acceptable to God. And God's clearly just saying, I did that. Like, you are, you already are and belong to me. You've been purchased at a price. So, That then, a relationship with God, right, isn't built around rule-keeping or or, or law-keeping because here's the amazing thing. He illustrated for the whole world that I've chosen for myself a people, not because of what they've done, not because of how they've performed, but simply because they've trusted me. They did one unique and unusual thing right, that I wanted them to do, and that was evidence of that trust. I told them I wanted them to take the blood of a lamb and a goat and put it on their doors, and that's all it took to initiate and establish that relationship of trust, right? And, and now that I've delivered them, and now that they're my people, now that that relationship has been sealed, now that I'm going to now give them like this list of rules, this, this laws, like I, I want them to, to be set apart as a people, right? So, so that's the message of this whole thing we're looking at. And that's the baseline for this conversation, and I don't want us to get it twisted as we move ahead into these commandments, all right? I think it's so easy to do. The the most consistent and persistent message of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, because it is in fact good news, is that you cannot, based on your merit, your performance, earn the favor of God. So now, just imagine all of this, like what is going through Moses's mind when God went up and continued, right? So, so back to, to 20 verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land. Like i want going to remind you what I've done for you. Here's who I am. Now let me remind you what I've already done for you out of Egypt, out of slavery. So that means like we already have something happening. We have a relationship going and God's going, I'm about to give you now this first word of mine to you as a people. You ready for this, Moses? It's a big one, and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, we're going to unpack that more next week, but I wanted us to hear that and see that, because Moses probably looked up and was like, well, duh, right? Which probably not. He was, you know, his hair was changing color and all that at the point, but I mean, he's like, after all that we've been through, Like after everything that we've experienced, right? After all of my experiences that I probably couldn't explain to people, like I'm standing in front of a bush and it's speaking to me and oh yeah, it's on fire and it tells me it has a name. Like, and then I go and I see all like these crazy things happen. I confront Pharaoh, the most powerful person. And then you free us as a people and you rescue us as a people and you deliver us as a people. Yeah, I'm cool with you. I don't want to have any other God before you, like after everything that we've experienced, you think we're gonna find another God? I mean, the fact that you reached down in our lowest point and delivered us in such a dramatic way, you brought us here, you provided for us, you've taken care of us, and you haven't even asked a thing from us yet. We didn't even know what we're supposed to do. There's no laws to even break yet. There's no way for us to offend you. We don't even know what offends you. There's no rules for us to trip over you have accepted us unconditionally and said that we are your people and the first commandment by the way is i'd like to be your god i'd like for you to have no other gods before me i think moses is like yeah absolutely like you are our god now there's a disconnect from what moses is saying as we get into the story as to what the people are doing we're going to get into that later All right. but that's just commandment number one just check that off right not to get in but because we're already in, now now listen, like rules, they never establish a relationship with your heavenly father. If God gives you a rule, it's because you're already in relationship with him. You know what God knows, right? That every kid knows this, every parent knows this, like just try this with somebody else's kid. Try to give your rules for your household to somebody else's kid out of context, right? With no relationship with them. what are they going to do? Like, I don't that's not my rules. I'm not going to follow those rules, right? Like we all know that. Rules without relationship always result in rebellion, right? It's just human nature. Like if you impose rules on me and I don't have a relationship with you, I'm going to resist those. God knows that. He created us and he sees what happened to us because of sin. He's, he's not foolish, right? He understands what motivates us. He's not going to say, here's just a bunch of rules, follow them and then I'll accept you right and then because we we would resist those like every time if we look at the 10 commandments and we view them as a vehicle for us to find our acceptance with God we'll fail in them we'll resist them every single time you've already been accepted here's what's really truly amazing it's a few centuries later right and with the memory of all of this now in their past, 1400 years in their past, right? They're thinking about that story and they're celebrating that story as they sit down for a meal. Jesus and his closest friends, right? And they're they're celebrating this Passover. Jesus is sitting around with his friends and he's eating, and they're they're laughing, and they're remembering, and they're, they're praising God. They're like, man, do you remember what God did for us as a people? Jesus, no less, right? Experiencing that as a human, and then he picks up a bottle of wine, and he begins to pour it in the cups of his friends, and he begins to pass it around. And he says, this, as we share this meal, as we look back, to God's great deliverance of us as a people that we didn't earn, that we couldn't perform our way into. This cup that contains wine actually is symbolic then of my blood that will be poured out for you. He grabs bread. It's on the table and he begins to break it up and do the same thing. He passes it out to his friends and he says like this bread here, going to represent what's going to happen to me over the course of like this weekend that we're about to head into my blood is going to be spilt and my body is going to be shredded beyond recognition and jesus he's breaking that bread right he's passing it out he says to his guys like we're remembering this thing that happened back here but tonight's also a little bit different tonight this wine again it's not just about the blood of a lamb that we celebrated for years and years as a nation, because God's about to do something new and different. From this point on, this wine represents my blood, and it's about to be spilled, unlike that lamb, not just for the rescue and the redemption of a particular people or a nation. My blood will be spilt for all of creation, right? And, And no longer does this bread simply represent the bread that we ate as we escaped that night, from Egypt. It's, in fact, my body. That some hours from now will be broken, not just for a nation, but for the entire world. And when I'm gone, when I leave, I want you to go around to all the other nations, to all the other people in the world, right, and tell them that their Heavenly Father has invited them into this unconditional relationship of love, And grace, not based on anything that they do, but based on something that has already been done for them, right? So listen, if God ever compliments you with an instruction or a rule, it's evidence of his love for you and that you're in relationship with him already. So hopefully that sets a baseline for us. We're going to dig in over the next few weeks. Um, I hope you hear that as good news today. And can undo that messaging of performance and merit and acceptance based on what you do. Let's respond to the good news of Jesus today. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. And we would ask that you take a few quiet moments just to yourself and pray. Um, We also want to respond appropriately by giving. We believe that God has so generously given to us. We've got to even see how that works as we as a people then in turn desire to be generous and so we'd ask that you give. You can do that in a few different ways. You can put some cash or check in the box on your way out. Or you can give online um, today. And then also, finally, we get to go then, right? You just think about how significant it was for God to say, like, here's a meal, but then here's the fulfillment of that meal. And so we get to go to the table today and, and, and keep that in mind as you go to the table. You're not going to the table You're not earning your way to that table. You're not performing your way to that table. That's already been done for you by Christ. You just get to go and receive his good gift of grace. Let me pray and let's respond. Father, we thank you.